Welcome to Moto di Bere, the podcast about local drinks and local sayings. I'm your host, Rose Thomas Bannister, and I'm extremely pleased to interview today's guest, Dr. Rebecca Lawrence. Rebecca is a wine educator, running enthusiast, podcaster, and the head of editorial for Wine and Hip Hop. Here at Moto di Bere, I always remind our listeners to never stop learning. No one could embody this advice more than Dr. Rebecca Lawrence. Alongside her many certifications, Rebecca is my fellow Italian wine ambassador. We bonded over our mutual passion for Italian wine, a passion that actually led Rebecca to relocate from England to Verona, learn a new language, and start a new life. As we know, this is a show about local drinks and local sayings. Rebecca, is there that one drink you definitely always have in Verona? Or is the answer just all the wines because the enormous Vinitilli wine fair takes place there? Hey, Rose. Oh, so many wines, so many wines. <laughs> um, I mean, there's always wine in the rack. One of the things I have found really interesting about relocating from London, where I spent, you know, gosh, too many years to mention, uh, into Italy is going from a market where you can get basically any wine that you want from anywhere in the world to Italy, which is so much more focused on completely local. You know, everyone here drinks local. So mostly what you find here in Verona are wines from the Veneto. So the Valpolicellas, the Suaves, the Amarones, um, that kind of thing. You might venture a little bit outside of the area. You might get some uh, Lugana, the cross-regional Appalachian. You might get some Franciacorta, but they drink really local. Uh, and that has definitely been a bit of a change of scene for me, um, particularly as actually the one thing that I always like to have in my rack is Vinaccia di San Gimignano. I love the white wines of San Gimignano, so I'm afraid... Sorry, Veneto, but I am always reaching out to my friends in Tuscany to send me either Venaccia uh, or, I'm afraid, the Vino Nobiles from Ospulciano, which is where my heart truly lives. Is, is there a saying, a word, or a piece of slang a person can say that makes you go, that person is from Verona? Mm. Uh, I do remember, unfortunately, it's not actually related to drinking. Um, but I do remember having a heated debate with two of my colleagues about a kind of modo di dire about whether you're whether someone is crazy. Um, and the kind of local Veneto saying for that is fuori con balcone, which means like outside with the balcony. <laughs> but a friend of mine who is actually from Friuli, their phrase is fuori con il legno, so outside with the wood. <laughs> And I, they had this really heated debate about which was correct. And these are, you know, regions that are very close to each other, but they just got so completely wound up. It was about a 45 minute heated debate. And I was like, but neither of these sayings really make sense. Uh, but that always makes me, me laugh when I think about sort of local sayings. In terms of an Italian saying, one of the very first uh, idioms that I learned was the idea of, if you've had too much to drink, the thing you've done is you've, you've raised your elbow, alzare il gomito. Uh, and I think my Italian teacher knows me too well uh, 
because uh, it was one of the first uh, more di dire that I learned, which is uh, I raised my elbow last night or alzato il mio gomito, <laughs> just to warn her before a lesson that maybe she should go easy on me. Oh my goodness. Now, one of the first Italian friends of mine that started teaching me about the wealth of local language in Italy um, was a friend from Rome. And he, I wonder if this is where the saying comes from. He told me that his grandfather, when the waiter would come around at the restaurant with the grappa, his grandfather would um, reach, you know, underneath the elbow of the waiter as he was pouring to say more, you know, to like to change the angle of the bottle so that, you know, so it's like, I, I wonder, because I wonder if the act of pouring uh, and the, the elbow and the bottle going, whoom, you know, <laughs> right into the glass is, um, we'll have to, I mean, honestly, every single one of these sayings, as you were mentioning with the, um, I love that there were two different versions in Friuli versus Veneto. And I find every single one of these sayings could, you know, be an entire study. So we'll have to add that to the list of asking Italians we meet from various uh, regions if they say something about the elbow and what they think it means. I'm also curious uh, what region you're from in England and is there a local drink or local saying that you can share from back home? Oh yeah, so despite the accent uh, which I have spent years honing to be my my BBC voice, um, I'm actually from the northeast so I'm from a kind of steel uh, industrial town on the northeast coast called Middlesbrough, um, made famous probably for certainly for your English speaking listeners for the film Billy Elliot, which was filmed there. So I'm from there, um, and beer is probably the the thing that most people drank uh, growing up. And specifically, there's a beer from a town kind of slightly further north, a city of Newcastle called Newquay Brown. Uh, so you would often you'd go into a pub and order a pint of brown, which doesn't sound particularly great. Um, and in terms of phrases, I I hadn't realized how a bit like actually in Italy, how phrases are so particular and so connected to place. Because when I met uh, the person who's now my husband, I used a phrase without even thinking one evening and he just did not know what I was talking about. He had never heard this. He was convinced this is something I had completely made up. And I was like, no, 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 this is a phrase. This is what everybody says. And it's the idea of having your wine jacket or your beer jacket. Um, so, you know, the Northeast is famous for people going out in short sleeves and tiny skirts and tiny dresses uh, because you're going to have your beer jacket later in the night. Once you've had some alcohol, you warm up so you don't need it. And I remember using this phrase to him when we were going out somewhere. I said, oh, don't worry, I'll have my wine jacket. And he just looked so stunned, so completely blank and had never heard of it because he's from a completely different place. So, yeah, that's that's the one that always makes me laugh and is so ingrained to me. But lots of people I meet have gone, that's not a thing. I was like, it's definitely a thing. That is wonderful. <laughs> I wonder if you can, like, close your eyes, go back home, put on your old accent and order a Nuki Brown. Well, if you want to do it truly in the accent. Now, my accent is not actually from Newcastle, but several of my best friends are. Um, and if you were going to ask someone if they wanted to go out and have a drink, you'd ask, you gan him for a brown. You gan him. 
You're gunning for a brown. You're gunning for a brown. <laughs> That's Are wonder. you going for a glass of brown? <laughs> you're gunning. D- does it mean like gunning, like a gun, or just that means going. to go? It's you're gunning. It's the abbreviation for going, but it's spelt with a hard A, so gunning. Oh. That's marvelous. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing those. Rebecca, we re- reunited recently at the Wine and Hip Hop Festival in Bushwick, New York. Could you tell our listeners around the world all about Wine and Hip Hop and how you came to work with its creator, Jermaine Stone? Yeah, that that happened over a glass of wine, actually. Uh, a glass of wine and a podcast recording got me into the wine and hip-hop world. I had long been a fan of what he was doing, super into wine uh, and very much into hip-hop, although I do not consider myself a connoisseur, having met the rest of the wine and hip-hop team. I realize I've got some way to go. Um, But I was using rap in the classroom as an educator to demystify wine for people, to give them an extra tool for learning, because I just found it easier. I found it really easy to remember verses. And... During a podcast recording with Jermaine, I was very lucky to have him on on my running podcast. We were talking about, you know, this idea of both wine culture and hip hop culture being a little bit exclusive, being a little bit difficult for people to get into and, and ways that you can open those two cultures up. One of the things I love about wine and hip hop is that is what he was doing. Um, so... I very fortunately was lucky to pitch a couple of the ideas that I'd had and he asked me to come on board and join the team about a year ago now, which was a huge honor. Um, As I said, I love what he's doing and this idea of demystifying both cultures whilst also elevating both cultures. And I guess, like you say, the culmination of that was the Wine and Hip Hop Festival, the first ever of of its sort held over two days in Bushwick in November, the, gosh, can't remember the dates, 12th and 13th? That's terrible. (laughs) It's such a blur. (laughs) Um, But we did six events, all of which blending personalities from wine and hip hop, industry, kind of legends from both cultures coming together for educational events, for food and wine pairing, for dinners, to kind of demonstrate that These are two cultures that talk to each other, that have a lot of things in common um, and that we should celebrate. And I think probably my kind of the best way to explain that in action was we did a New York State of Wine tasting where we talked about the terroir of New York State and the wines and the terroir of New York hip hop which is so closely connected to which neighborhood you grew up in and, and who you grew up listening to. And we had tracks being paired with different wines and different terroirs from New York State. And there are so many things like that that these two industries and cultures have in common that it just makes sense to us. <laughs> I love this idea of expanding the concept of terroir, which is something that I'm doing with this project. Mm. Um, with the romantic conception that the local language is is part of the terroir, or at least that there is some connection between the preservation efforts, for instance, to maintain a local language and stop it from becoming a dead language or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a a dialect that, you know, people are told to stop speaking. 
um, you know, you need to speak real, whatever the main language is, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, compared to the particularly in Italy, the the preserve and, and elsewhere, the preservation of local autochthonous uh, grapes um, and, mm-hmm. and and wines and styles that, you know, may have fallen out of fashion, but, you know, have such a long history and, and tradition. And so when people come to replant those things and preserve those those cultural items, I, I like to think about the terroir of, of language as well as the, the terroir of wine. So I, I love that expansion. So Wine and Hip Hop also is a podcast. I'd love to hear just a little bit about the podcast. And also I noticed um, these wonderful YouTube episodes, uh, Tasting Notes from the Streets. Could you tell us a little bit about, um, uh, besides the festival, the Wine and Hip Hop project? Sure. Um, I do love what you're saying about language. I just want to, before I dive into talking about the podcast because one of the things that we also did at the festival was talk about the language of wine and how you present wines and and language and complexity of language in both wine and in hip-hop so I think it is it is absolutely like you say completely part of the terroir and part of where you're from and where your cultural understanding is from so uh, so the podcast so the podcast is how it kind of all originated Jermaine started it to have these conversations with people either in wine or in hip hop. The initial idea being that the pairing of a wine with a hip hop track and a discussion around uh, around that and whoever the guest is, whether they're in wine or hip hop, sort of talking about their connections to each culture. Um, so that's how it kind of started. Uh, and then, yeah, we've got from that came a YouTube series which is Wine and Hip Hop TV, which is the visual version of that. So allowing a little bit more of a deep dive, allowing our listeners to see those interviews happening in in the actual studio or in the place. And then we have, like you say, Tasting Notes from the Streets, which is our food and wine pairing series, very much taking street food culture or neighborhood hood culture and food and pairing it with fine wines from around the world. So demonstrating that, I think probably one of my favorites is the chopped cheese episode. So you can walk into any bodega anywhere in New York. I have recently experienced this and just order a chopped cheese, which is an amazingly cool dish, which I wish I had more of. Um, And we paired that with Northern Rhone wines made from Syrah. So a completely staple neighborhood you know sort of six buck seven buck food with potentially a 50 dollar bottle of wine and talked about why those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive why you can drink these incredible wines with these great local foods and how basically wine is for any occasion that you make it for Uh, and we recently have been expanding that concept around the world so we spent most of June traveling in Bordeaux and in Burgundy, shooting content in these very prestigious regions. Again, demonstrating that street food, everyday common foods, burgers, grilled cheese can go with these really incredible wines and that they're actually very natural pairings. I think we've got the Burgundy episode coming out soon. We did Etna Bianco and fried fish, just the possibilities are endless and I love working on that show because 
just the conversations we have in the office about what food are we going to try next and what wine would we put in it I mean they're just some of the best conversations they obviously get derailed constantly by me getting hungry (laughs) oh my god it sounds like a dream I I like to um we definitely need to bring Jermaine on and just be all in a room together because we're also doing all these combination shows Mm. you know pairings right wine and hip-hop wine and language Mm -hmm. in my case and also wine and running you also have your own podcast running for the wine I really love the concept of the information exchange that you have with your co-host Morgan Mm -hmm. Ritchie he was a wine rookie and you were a running rookie correct yeah Uh, yeah so I was just getting into running but didn't know anything about it and kept going out of my runs and just finding these connections between themes in my runs and themes in wine and quite a lot of language actually this this idea of common language things that I would think about on my runs would spark an idea about how we talk about wine or how we talk about training for exams and so I couldn't put the word out that I really wanted to see if other people had this approach and I was directed towards Morg who is a very successful runner has been running for many years. He's, you know, actually fast and very, very good at it, but didn't know anything about wine. And he lives in a wine region. He's in Washington state, was really keen to know more about it, but didn't know where to go. And I thought, well, if I'm looking for these connections and finding them, maybe other people are, maybe that's something interesting to explore on a podcast. So I basically twisted his arm and decided that we were going to do a podcast. (laughs) Um, And actually, funnily enough, the first ever episode, if people go back and listen to it, that's the first time I'd ever spoken to Morg in person. I'd never heard his voice. It was a huge risk. He's got the perfect voice for a podcast. Um, But we literally, we had five minutes before we started the podcast. I'm like, hey, I'm Rebecca. I do this. He was like, hey, I'm Morg. I do this. And then we started, which is crazy to think that it went so well given that risk but we have a very good editor (laughs) oh that's it sounds uh very authentic um the process of getting to know uh each other it's and I I love the podcast um I I think it's great I I love what you guys talk about um finding those connections so besides becoming a PhD a wine expert and a podcaster you have done two other things that many people only dream about moving to another country and learning a new language. I'd love for you to bring to life for our listeners what it was like to dream of moving to Verona and then do it, and desire to learn Italian and then learn Italian. What were the logistics of those accomplishments? That's a great question. So my husband and I fell in love with Italy around, God, it's such a corny story, but around the time we fell in love with each other. and because we had this this love for this place, we decided that we would like to move there. So we basically, being problem solvers and coming from that sort of very structured academic background, we wrote out a 10-year plan of, you know, this is where we need to get to and this is where we are. And then we broke it down into all the little tiny steps that we needed to do. And if anyone is thinking about taking on a huge project like that I highly recommend this approach because you just see incremental progress all the time to getting to that point 
but there's also a huge amount of luck involved and I was very fortunate to just be in the right place at the right time with the right skill set for a job that came up in Verona. Now, it had originally been our plan to be in Umbria. That's the kind of place we would like to be eventually. No shade on Verona, we love it, but my heart is in the countryside. But I was in Verona having a conversation about wine education and various things and was very fortunate to be offered a job with Vinicity International working on their education program. And that was just the last, that kind of skipped the last three steps that we had, which was, you know, learn the language, find a job. Um, I was very fortunate that I was offered a job in an international company. So we were able to come to Italy and I could learn the language in the place. Now I had a little bit of Italian coming in, but certainly not enough to work in an Italian office. So there was that huge, huge piece of, you know, the universe gifting me an opportunity and us grabbing it. Um, As terms of how the Italian goes, if you work in an office with mostly Italians, they expect, as they rightly should, that eventually you're going to learn the language, that you are going to come in, not just with English. And so uh, I was very fortunate that actually another one of the Vinitaly International Academy ambassadors um, gave me details of her Italian teacher, who is very, very good um, and very fun and very flexible. And I started taking Italian lessons basically every lunch break that I had and forced myself to have absolutely awful, stunted, difficult conversations in Italian constantly with my colleagues getting the pronunciation wrong and the grammar wrong, but they are and still are incredibly patient with me and were incredibly excited that I was so thrilled to sort of slowly be be able to communicate and definitely had and still actually beat myself up about my lack of Italian, even though now I would say it's pretty good. But I just had to eventually start speaking it and suddenly I think probably about about a year maybe a year and a half in had that realization of like oh oh I just had a conversation with someone in Italian oh I couldn't do that before and that really showed to me that even if I didn't feel like I was making progress I was and thankfully for the for the patience of my colleagues was having that opportunity to speak all the time they they basically got to a point I think Maybe it was my second Christmas in the office and they all decided, they kind of got together the group that I worked with most commonly and said, okay, when we come back in January, we're not speaking English to you anymore. But, but, but like, nope, that's it. We're cutting you off. You've just got to speak Italian. And it was terrible, (laughs) but it worked. So I highly take the plunge. If you, if you want to learn the language, just it's really embarrassing and it's really hard when you start out, but that that moment where you manage to order something in another language or crack a joke or when you suddenly realize you've had a little bit of a conversation without realizing it, there is no feeling like that. That's marvelous. And, you know, we learn by making mistakes. That's how we learn. 
Um, you know, the word that you went out in on the spelling bee is a word you will never forget how to spell. So, um, so you know, I think taking the shame out of it, you know, this is something I'd love to talk about with a linguist in another episode. But, you know, people talk about neuroplasticity of the brain and, and children learning language. And, um, you know, mm. I feel that it must be so that um, it's also the lack of shame in children um, that they're not so worried about making a mistake that also helps younger people um, really uh, learn quickly. So I'm actually curious about being a beginning runner um, in that experience um, to just go back to that for just a second, letting yourself be a beginner in that way as well and having that sort of humbling experience and then having a breakthrough where you, you realize you've got it. So I, I commend you for trying new things and becoming so successful at them. I mean, if you saw me running, you wouldn't think I'm successful. <laughs> but I kind of, with the running, just got to the point where I, I gave up caring. Um, and in that kind of continuing to learn, I have taken the plunge for 2023 and gotten myself an actual proper running coach. And I was so, I was so scared about reaching out and saying, you know, I would like help with my running. I have these goals, but I'm super slow. And like everyone says they're a slow runner. I am genuinely a slow runner, like truly very, very slow. And I sent all my stats across this coach and I said, you know, what I, what I lack in speed, I make up for an enthusiasm. You know, if I haven't scared you off, love to work with you. And I got a very funny email back saying, well, I definitely like a challenge. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, so you're saying I'm slow, but that's cool. But he didn't back away. He was like, I like a challenge. You know, if you're willing to work on it, you can work on it. And I think that's true across everything that we do, whether that's that's language or running or learning about things. If, Like you say, sometimes you just have to go into it being aware. Like you say, I do think this discussion of shame is really interesting because it's absolutely true in language of being, and I'm still like that. I'm too, still too scared to take an official appointment in case I get the words wrong and I won't join a running club because I'm worried about being too slow. And I'm also worried about the terms in Italian. So there's like a double whammy. And I think if you can somehow get yourself past that and go, well, it doesn't matter. Even if I feel it, it doesn't matter because if I just take that first step, if I just have that first conversation, the next one's going to be easier and the next one's going to be easier. And eventually, doesn't matter how slowly you speak or how slowly you run, you're still doing it. Doing it is everything. That is wonderful advice. We actually will both be putting ourselves to the test in um, the Italian version of this podcast in a little bit. So um, listeners can head over to the Italian language version of Moto di Bere. And, you know, I don't know if people uh, at this point are using the podcast in this way, but if you are a language learner and you want to do a side-by-side, -side, we're also going to, both of us non-native speakers, you know, are going to bravely 
record the same interview in Italian in a few minutes. So that is also available both for people who speak Italian and people who want to speak Italian to come and check that out and, and watch um, two, two shameless souls in action. <laughs> we get things done. Yep. Things <laughs> that people can be intimidated about getting into, but shouldn't have to be. I really admire and appreciate your motto, wine education shouldn't be dry. I just, I got really fed up of people being scared of education, feeling like those doors weren't open to them because maybe an educator didn't look like them and didn't sound like them. I think if you don't see yourself represented, you don't know that that's something that's open to you, whether that's being an educator or being a student in the classroom. And especially with wine, it's always held up as this really complex, challenging world full of, certainly until very recently, old white men. And it shouldn't be like that. I mean, one, it's fermented grapes, like it's alcohol, it's booze, like you can't take that too seriously. And also you can approach something in a non-serious way while still maintaining that the information within it is incredibly serious and yes it is complex and you know maybe what we should be doing is, is not trying to make this more complex than it is but breaking it down in ways that are approachable and the big problem that wine has at the moment is people aren't drinking as much wine you know producers need to sell wine and we need consumers who see themselves in the wine culture who feel recognized and spoken for and I mean that's one of the big reasons for wine and hip-hop and that was my approach to education that you know you should have a small green-haired northern woman although don't have the accent but hey that's another story talking about wine using rap using stupid jokes trying to help you remember this really complex information in a way that's not complicated and I if you've been in my classroom you know I cannot take myself too seriously I mean seriously you just can't I mean I'm like I say I'm a small pink-haired white girl who raps in her classroom no one can take that seriously but if that means you know if someone remembers your joke if someone remembers the rap you made about the Pradhaka and that helps them pass that qualification that makes them realize that they are capable of being in that space. That's what educators should be doing. And I have to thank actually WSET, who many people I think are, are worried about the, the spaces of qualifications. But it was the London school when I approached them to educate that just jumped on it. And I remember having a conversation with one of the, it was actually one of the Italian specialists at the London school and he said, we need people like you in the classroom. Yes, we would love to have you teaching. And I was like, great. He's like, we need people with dyed hair and tattoos and a different approach to make sure people still think that education is for them. That's great. Yeah, this is for you. And I also, I mean, I get that from my dad as well. He's a huge inspiration. I'm remembering now, speaking of the, the dyed hair, um, that I meant to ask you two questions. One... Do you remember the Pradikat uh, rap? 
is this wrapping uh, wine education immortalized somewhere on the internet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if the Pradikat wrap is. Um, oh, dear. I might need a glass of wine. <laughs> That sounds great. And and um, just for our listeners, um, WSET stands for Wine Spirits Educational Trust. Um, and that is one of one of the ways that people can learn more about wine. And Rebecca is a teacher with them now in Italy, correct? Uh, in Italy and in London. I still maintain my position in London. So I do mostly for them a lot of remote student assessment. But yeah, I do. I couldn't ever, after such a positive, open-armed approach, uh, I could never leave London behind. What was the name of your youthful punk band that you were in? <laughs> uh, probably the the funniest name, if you're interested in language, because, I mean, I don't know how you touched on this so sort of uh, prophetically, but the... My favorite band name was Too Much Ruth uh, because I was once told I wasn't ruthless enough as a singer that I had too much Ruth. <laughs> I love that. That's great. And you were a you're a bass player um, in a punk rock band. And that is someone who should definitely be in wine and um, and go <laughs> yeah. all the way with wine. So, you know, as someone we haven't we haven't. Um, really gotten into all of your many certifications and accomplishments. Um, we can put some of those in the notes for the episode. You know, you've developed this deep expertise in in wine. Um, so what is the best piece of advice you as an educator have for someone who says to you, oh, I know nothing about wine, or I wish I knew more? Ooh. Normally, my piece of advice if you're trying to get into wine, if you have an independent wine store near you, is to go to your independent wine store and say, hey, I know nothing about wine, but I would like to try something. Uh, and be very clear about what your budget is. You know, say, I've got $10 to spend, I've got $20 to spend. What can you recommend for me? And if they ask you what kind of things you like and you don't know how to respond, I think a great way of thinking about it is what else you enjoy eating and drinking. Like if you really like, you know, cranberry soda, for example, say to them, well, I don't really drink much wine, but I would normally drink something like a cranberry soda. And they'll go, okay, great. Then you probably like something that's a little bit highly acidic with red fruit flavors. That is just giving them a different way of your, that's just giving them your palate just in a different form. And the reason I say go to independence is they want you to be happy. I worked in independent retail for seven years. We don't want you to be intimidated when you walk in. We want you to be happy with what you purchase because that probably means you're going to come back. And that's our goal. And also, we're like me. We love to talk about wine. We love to share new discoveries. There is no budget too small. Most of the people who work in wine don't have a lot of money. You know, they may like to talk about drinking Burgundy, but normally when someone else is paying for it. So don't be afraid of how small your budget is and don't be afraid to use other markers from what you eat and drink to help someone help you find that wine for you. 
because that's all completely valid. If you like highly acidic or bitter things or red fruits or you always eat apricots when they're in season, chances are you're going to like those flavors in a wine. They're just the same flavors. Just because it's not in a wine doesn't mean it's not valid. So that would be my very long-winded piece of advice. I've never heard anyone quite put it that way. That is so helpful. I think, too, um, people can be very intimidated not knowing the terms. That is such a great way to to get in there and um, let someone know what you like. And again, you know, what you like, you're the one who's going to be drinking that glass of wine. So, you know, taste is something that certainly can be, you know, honed and developed. But the at the end of the day, I think the goal is enjoyment. Yeah, absolutely. And what you like is what you like. There's no right or wrong answer for that. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for speaking with me today and for all your work to open the world of wine to everyone to make connections instead of disconnections. I will put all the information for your projects in the notes for this episode. To all of our listeners, thank you. Wherever you go and whatever you drink, always remember to enjoy your life and to never stop learning. Thank you for listening to Moto D. Berry, the podcast for local drinks and local sayings. If you love the show, please take a moment to write a five-star review. Find Moto D. Berry on YouTube, Blogspot, Instagram, and TikTok for even more unique and encouraging drinks and language content. If you would love for the show to continue and grow, support Moto D. Berry on Patreon and unlock bonus episodes. Music for the show is composed by Ercilia Prosperi and performed by the band OU. You can purchase their recordings at oumusic.bandcamp.com. Yeah.